Welcome to Dental Brain Crops. I'm your host, Chelsea Myers, and today I am so excited to be joined with Kevin Cumbus of Tusk. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hey, Chelsea. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you again. Yeah, you as well. I'm so excited to have you here. It was good seeing you at Dykema recently and um, excited to share more about what you're doing at Tusk. And so if you would, let's just start at the beginning. Just give me a little bit of background on you and then some on Tusk, if you would. Yeah, sure. So it's it's kind of an interesting story. Uh, my dad's actually a pediatric dentist. So I was kind of raised in his practice, thought I was oh, going to cool. become a dentist. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I, I spent summers cleaning trays and sterilizing equipment. I thought my pathway was going to take me to dentistry as a clinician. Went to undergrad, took chemistry 111, and the professor there said, look, Cumbus, you, you've worked so hard. I'm, I'm going to, you should fail this class, but I'm just going to give you a D minus so you don't come back. But you're not going to be a physician. You're not going to be a dentist. Oh. I'm sorry. So it was a hard Thanksgiving uh, going home and letting, letting my father know that. So as luck would have it, I found my way into finance and investment banking and economics and ended up in, in New York City for a couple of years on a sales trading desk. And then from there to business school and then investment banking here in Charlotte. Uh, was loving uh, the, I would say, the analytical rigor, the quantitative mm-hmm. analysis. But when I looked around the, the floor on which I worked, there weren't a lot of role models for me. Um, you know, a lot of guys there... Um, you know, God bless them, but you're working 80 to 100 hours a week, uh, but you don't get to see your family. Uh, you don't get to coach Little League. Uh, there, you know, many of them are on their second or third wife. And I said, I, I, don't, I don't know what this is, but I don't want to be like this when I grow up. Um, and ultimately called my father and said, look, this is not uh, going to work for me. I, I need something else. And he said, look, the dentistry is a great profession. There's a guy helping me sell my dental practice right now. Maybe you should get connected to him. So I, I called that individual, and within 90 days, I was working with him. So I got involved wow. in the dental economy. Yeah, yeah. So I left finance and investment banking and joined the dental economy six, 17 years ago now. And uh, it was a leap of faith, right? I knew finance. I knew accounting. Um, I understood the economics of the broader U.S. economy, but I had never worked with small, closely held businesses. Uh, so when it came to the valuation, that was a snap. That was second nature. But what was so intriguing to me about dentistry is most of the groups that we worked with, most of the dentists back then were founding dentists, right? So their business was really their business baby. It was inextricably linked to who they were. And although these were financial transactions we were working on, they were as much or or more emotional transactions. Mm -hmm. And I loved the people side of the valuation work and the sales work. And uh, I, I'll tell you, it was, it was a lot of fun to be in that world. It was there for about four years, and we began selling practices to Heartland Dental Care. And I saw, I, for me, I, I saw what they were able to achieve. And I said, oh my gosh, this, this is where I want to be. I mean, the, really the light bulb came on because what they were doing was offering dentists more than they could ever receive from an individual dentist from a valuation perspective. Uh, but they were effectively buying these practices at three to four times EBITDA knowing that they were worth 10 times EBITDA at the time. And the arbitrage on those multiples was so enticing. I said, all right, look, this is the future of dentistry. This is the way this is going. I need to get involved in this world. So left the M&A shop I was at and joined a large DSO called Affordable Dentures. At the time, they had about 120 locations. Over the three-year tenure I was there, they grew to 210 They were owned by American Capital. When I showed up, they were sold to Berkshire Partners shortly after I left for north of $800 million. I was in operations. I was in business development. 
it was super cool to get to see how value was created inside of that business. I mean, we were opening yeah. up practices throughout the nation. I opened up the Houston market, the Tulsa market, managed, managed practices all over, all over the country. And, and Chelsea, you know, it looks easy when you're looking at the numbers to say, hey, Doc, you know, you need to just dial back your overhead two or three points and, and just increase your revenue a little bit here or a little bit there. What mm-hmm. I learned is inside of each of those spreadsheets, there are people and there are lots right. of them. And there's healthcare going on. And, you know, the work that happens inside of these practices uh, means something. It's more than just dollars and cents and profitability and EBITDA. Um, The people that work inside those organizations, you're helping their kids go to college. You're helping them go from renter to mortgage owner. All these wonderful things are happening inside these businesses. And I had a front row seat to get to experience that. So I really got to see the human side of dentistry. Uh, not just the patient side. I've been a patient for a long time, right? I was raised by a pediatric <laughs> dentist, uh, but I got to see how the business of dentistry really impacted people's lives. So from there, I left it on my first entrepreneurial journey and built a dental practice. Uh, I said, right, look, there's there's got to be something I can do with this knowledge uh, to better serve the community in which I live in. And a partner and I identified Spanish speakers uh, in the Charlotte market as a real opportunity because their alternatives for dental treatment were less than, less than let's say, less than par. Um, it was cinder block buildings. It was dentists that really didn't treat the patients great. Uh, the care was not there, and the experience was far from what I'm sure you and I experienced from our dentist today. So okay. we built a best-in-class, top-of-the-line um, digital first same-day dental facility uh, just over the border in, in South Carolina where you and I can own a dental practice. There's, it's just like the Wild West when it comes to DSO ownership uh, and, and had a great time in the ideation phase of that and really starting to plan out what that would look like. Again, back to the spreadsheets is kind of where I live. In a spreadsheet, it made perfect sense, right? The revenue rolled in, the expenses were taken care of, and the profit showed up, and we paid down the debt. Uh, the reality is it's really hard to start a dental practice. Um, we had issues with doctor retention, team retention. Uh, we had new patient growth. I mean, it, it ended up being successful because we were able to get to about 1.5 million of collections over a three and a half year period. Um, okay. We were extremely profitable servicing the debt, but it was the least amount of money I've ever made in my entire life, but the most I've learned. Right, so when dad would come home from the office at night, he wouldn't tell me how hard it was. Um, And I'm sure many of your listeners don't tell their spouses or business partners or really what goes on and how hard it really is to be a dentist who is CEO, chief marketing officer, CFO, head clinician, chairside psychiatrist, and for the (laughs) privilege of doing all that, they get paid last, right? They take whatever's left over. Uh, Mm -hmm. So... I gained more empathy and respect for dentists and my father in building that business than I did in any other business. So, so you know, you kind of said, all right, and now that I have this knowledge, I ended up selling that business to my associate, and it was great. So, and he's done wonderful things with it. When you kind of look at the, the history of my work, I, I said, all right, there's got to be an alternative way for me to help others in the space. And, and what, what Hartland was doing way back when we were now seeing other groups, not individual practices, but groups selling to private equity groups and DSOs. And those buyers have an abundance of of knowledge about what their business was worth. 
and arguably uh, paying less than they should for those targets. And that's okay. really where Tusk was born. Um, it was really to try to help educate uh, everyone around what their business is worth and help our clients, the, the clients who are selling their business, increase the value of that sale, uh, find the right partner at the right price, and really exit at the top. So we, we've been at this business now for close to seven years. We work with groups, individual dentists, um, and DSOs that are looking to sell to a larger DSOs, private equity groups, or family funds, um, mm -hmm. and just have a blast doing it. Look, it's this is hard work. It's late hours. It's, it's long hours, late nights, early mornings, uh, <laughs> but we've got a great team of 11 people here who uh, really relish the opportunity to create transformational, multi-generational wealth events for our clients. So it, it's a lot of fun to finally be at this point in my career and not toiling away uh, at, you know, way back at the investment bank. Yeah, yeah, thank you. That is so great. So tell me, how does Tusk help a client strategize their setup if they know that they're going to be selling at some point in the near future? Yeah, so, um, you know, in, in this market, there are so many buyers out there, probably 150 private equity-backed groups that are continually um, paperworking the entire market with, with letters of intent and unsolicited offers because what they really want to do is buy these businesses before they're really mm -hmm. prepared for sale and their businesses are window dressed and primed for top valuation. You want to buy somebody when they're not quite ready, right? Right. Um, so the perfect client for us is someone who comes in and says, look, I'm looking to sell in the next six months. What can you do to help me professionally and operationally ensure that I maximize the value of my business upon exit. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to give them an honest assessment of what their adjusted EBITDA is and where the opportunities for improvement live on the expense side and the revenue side of their business. Then we're going to help them create uh, additional um, opportunities for EBITDA, positive EBITDA adjustment, and, and include that in the marketing materials, right? So keep, keep in mind, the buyer is buying the future. Like, where is the business going? Not just where it's been, right. but, but where is it going? So how can we help management um, dis discern what their strategy is going forward and help lay out some real material things, be it an acquisition pipeline, be it the addition of a specialist, um, whatever it may be, and actually quantify those strategic changes and get credit for them at the closing table. So once we've helped them with all the X's and O's and, and getting the numbers ready, from there it's time to build a, build a process, right? So we've got a beautiful confidential information memorandum, we've got their marketing book, and then we take it out to a large pool of buyers because we want the most demand possible for this business. You know, th there's mm -hmm. limited supply of great groups and individual practices out there, and there's high demand for them. And look, I was an econ major, so this math's easy. High demand, <laughs> low supply, price goes up. So we want as right. many buyers as possible at the table. So we take them through what we call the Tusk Marketed Process, and we introduce the opportunity to 20 or more buyers. Educate them about the opportunity, who the doctors are that built it, and what the likely financial outcomes are for the new owner. Um, walk them through the analyses we've done, and then ultimately, introduce them to the client uh, because although the EBITDA matters who the buyers are partnering with matters even more. Um, so yes. we prepare, right? 
So yeah, we'll, the opportunity we'll, cost, the cultural alignment. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So we 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 want to we really work hard to inform our clients about the cultural differences of the buyers that we know, um, and make sure that they know how to answer questions in a way that one is always truthful, but two is the way that the buyers want to hear them. Right. So there's a difference between saying, "So what happened this year inside of your P&L? Oh, we lost a doctor." Okay, that's that's one way to say what happened inside of your business. Alternatively, uh-huh. you could say, "You know, we 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 had a doctor that didn't fit our cultural alignment, and it was best for the long-term strategy of the business if we parted our parted ways at that point." We've been recruiting, and we have three current recruits that we think will be great fits. We have, you know, employment agreements out to two, and we expect to onboard someone in the next thirty days. That's a vastly mm-hmm. different answer than that that doctor right. didn't work out. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so backtracking just a little bit, you had mentioned six months, and so am I understanding that six months is a good runway with some healthy changes put in place to make you more marketable? Yeah, that's right. If we can, if we can take six months, that's really enough time for us to get credit for some of these changes and strategic initiatives that we want to work with our clients on. Okay. Okay. Good. What can you tell me about the current M and A markets? Oh my gosh! Um, all right, so it, they're 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 still they're still a little crazy. Uh, so here, here's what's been going on. Um, ever since we've been involved in the industry, people have been saying valuations are at all time highs and they're they're not getting higher. Well, they got higher in 18, 19, and 20. Then COVID hits and valuations got a little flat for a little while because. No one quite knew what was going to happen in the dental economy. Once the mm-hmm. debt capital markets reopened at the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, valuations spiked again and were higher than they were in 2019. And today, here we are with you know that recession world looming, interest rates high, you've got uh, inflation around wages, and we're trading deals at higher multiples than we ever have in the history of the business. How long can this continue is the question that I often get. And, <laughs> and you know, it's, it's, it's a function of supply and demand. Uh, I really mm-hmm. think there are fewer great assets out there still available that have yet to connect with a DSO or a private equity-backed group. And as the supply of great assets continues to shrink and the demand for great assets continues to grow, we're going to see continued increased pricing pressure. Now, maybe we'll plateau where a million dollars of EBITDA, um, you know, may not trade for 10, 10 times for, for long. Um, but, but I do think we've got a little bit more wind in the sails when it comes to valuation expectations in the near future. Interesting. So, and it may just be a case-by-case basis, but then what would the strategy be if you're like, well, I, you know, I've got a handful of practices I may sell in the near future. I may hang on to them. Do you... What would your advice be to that person who's kind of on the fence about it? Yeah, I would say it's it's really hard to make any type of strategic decision uh, with respect to your business unless you know two things. One, what's the value of my business today? And two, at what number do I need to get to before I can afford to exit? Mm-hmm. Um, so let, let's talk about number one first. We work with a lot of clients all the time who call and say, hey, I think I may be ready. Can you just give me an indication of where I might trade in today's market? 
we are more than happy to have that conversation with anyone that has you know, a single location, five locations, uh, they don't quite understand EBITDA, but they really want to read on where they are today. And then what they should do is take that information to their financial advisor and say, look, help me understand the number I need to hit to achieve financial independence. And we define financial independence as you have enough money in savings and investments to where you can maintain your current level of spending and, and not run out of money by the time you're 103 years old, right? Because if, if you can achieve that amount of income or wealth, um, you, you're independent. You don't need to work anymore. Now, most of our clients continue to work in some capacity, but we, we want them to know that if everything else goes wrong financially in their life, that, that they and their family are safe. And their right. financial advisor will tell them, you know, you're short $2 million or you're short $4 million. And then whatever that delta is coupled with the value of their practice, if there's a match there or we exceed the delta, then they know that they can afford to sell. Okay. okay. Now, now, knowing you can afford to sell does not mean you should sell, though, right? If, if, you, <laughs> if, you, if you are having fun, if you have a rich acquisition pipeline, if you are loving building the culture, if you are growing your EBITDA margin on an annual basis, and you have a business that people love to work at it or knocking down your door to come work for you, you do mm -hmm. not need to have fear of missing out on selling your business in this environment. You don't. It, it, this okay. is, it, it is, it is, I would say, you know, you're building a business, I'm building a business. It, it's the, one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my entire life. And I don't know what I would do without it. Uh, but at some point, these dental businesses get so big and the value of them becomes so large that many times dentists are overexposed to the business of dentistry. They may have $4 million of assets under management with a DSO that's worth $20, $30, $40 million. And at that point, you may want to consider taking some chips off the table, selling to a private equity group or a DSO, maybe uh, selling 60% of your business and retaining 40% of it because you're just overexposed when it comes to risk in the dental economy. Um, but Chelsea, it's, it's always, you, what we tell everyone is you cannot make a decision um, until until you know what your value is worth today and where you want to go. Otherwise, it, it's hard to decide, should I buy another practice? Should I buy a cone beam? Should I buy a CEREC? I, I, don't, I don't know until I give you these answers. Right. Yeah, no, that makes so much sense. What else? What have I not asked that is more information people should be thinking on? Yeah, um, I, I, I want your listeners to know um, they don't need to feel pressure to sell today. Um, they don't need to feel pressure from buyers to do a deal. Um, they did, building these businesses is really, really hard. And, and when you are ready to sell, you should be the one who's in control. You should, be the, you should engage an advisor to help you because that gives you the most control over the entire process and allows you to bring the, the most buyers to the table and ultimately allows you to exit without regret. You, I mean, you're so, we're, as entrepreneurs, we're so careful about every dollar we spend, every person we hire, every investment we make, and then it comes time to sell your business. And we hear of people all the time saying, 
you know, this DSO came in and offered me $11 million and it just felt so good to be wanted <laughs> that I said yeah. yes, right? Uh-huh. And, and, right and, I, and I get that from one perspective because, I mean, entrepreneurship and business ownership can mean lonely, right? And yeah. to be told that you've built a beautiful business, baby, and I want to buy it, let's, let's do a deal, <laughs> like, that can be intoxicating. Uh-huh. But, but just don't jump at the first offer you get. Um, and, and go through the time and the energy of, of running a process to get your deal done because you won't regret the outcome. I mean, that, that's, that's the message I want everyone to hear. It, it's, it's just, it kind of blows my mind that um, anyone would accept an unsolicited offer from a DSO when a DSO would never, ever, ever do a deal on their own. Right. I mean, these are deal guys. These are people who are accustomed to buying, in Heartland's case, 150 practices a year and someone like DCA's maybe 20 or 30. I mean, they're doing deals all day, every day. If if anybody knows how to do their own deal, these groups know how to do it. But when it comes time for them to exit, even they know they don't want to do their own deal. So they engage an advisor to take them to market. Um, You know, you're just you're worth more in a marketed process than you are on a, on a solo deal. Yeah, absolutely. And so said differently, if you're getting those unsolicited offers, it's a great sign. It's time to, if you're interested, engage an advisor. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I couldn't have said it, could not have said it better. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. If people wanted to learn more, reach out to Tusk, how would they do that? Yeah, sure. Uh, first thing I'd encourage you to do is pop over to the website it's uh, www.tusk-partners.com. Um, on there, you can find all sorts of interesting things to read, our blog, uh, and, and all of our webinars as well. Um, you can reach me directly over email at kevin at tusk-partners.com. And you can find our phone number on the website as well. Perfect. Thank you so much, Kevin. It's so good to see you. Thanks, Chelsea. Good to see you again. Mm. I appreciate you joining me for today's episode. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit dentallife.coach for access to additional coaching tools as well as more episodes to help you create the dental life you truly desire.